Good morning, Grace. I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Pastor Dwayne and Sherry are still on their well-deserved vacation celebrating their wedding anniversary. Last week we had Pastor Brian filling in for Dwayne, and today I'm filling in. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Becca Anderson, and this is the second sermon I have ever preached in my life. Interestingly, both sermons have been about prayer, and I have heard that it said we preach the sermons we most need to hear, so I'm thinking that God is trying to tell me something, and hopefully he speaks to you today too. Now, I have heard prayer described as simply talking to God, that it's like talking to your best friend, that you spill out all of your excitements and hopes, your worries, your fears, and you ask God to help you. And whenever I tried to pray this way, it felt like God wasn't listening, like I wasn't getting a response in the same way I would from sitting talking to my friend. And so this led me to have a deep skepticism about the effectiveness of prayer. I had experienced too many desperate prayers go unanswered. Friends and family who were diagnosed with cancer and we prayed and prayed and prayed for them and they never recovered. Mothers like me who suffered miscarriages and we prayed and prayed and prayed for those babies and still never got to hold them in our arms. And jobs lost, especially right now. There's millions of people praying for jobs and those jobs aren't coming. Now these unanswered prayers didn't make sense to me and they still don't. Healing is something that God does. While Jesus was here on earth, he healed countless people in miraculous ways from a variety of illnesses. Providing is something that God does. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and fish. So why aren't we seeing huge miracles like this to address the suffering we see in this world? I had gotten to the point where I would rather not talk to God than to continue asking and continue to be disappointed. Scottish theologian James Torrance would have diagnosed me this way. He would have said my specific prayers, the specific things I was asking for, had not been flowing out of a life of communion with God. So they had become a duty, a task, a law to be fulfilled, a burden, a yoke to be carried. And that can be the fastest road to prayerlessness. And that is exactly where I found myself, on the road to prayerlessness. So I set out to understand my discouragement, and I ended up finding a deeper purpose to prayer than just getting what I asked for. And today I want to share my first stop on that journey with you. But before we, go, before we get going, let's pray. God, I thank you that you want to meet us. And just like Elijah, when we do meet you, you say, what are you doing here? And so this morning, God, as we are recording this message in a room with five people, preaching to a camera, or as we are sitting on our couches in our pajamas, drinking our coffee, watching church on TV, it all feels so weird and different. But God, we are here with the same purpose we had when we gathered in person, a purpose of spending time with you, of worshiping with you, of knowing you, and allowing ourselves to be known by you. 
And so I pray, God, that wherever we are, that we would feel your presence speaking to us exactly with what we need to hear. In Jesus' name. So we're going to be spending this morning in the book of Psalms. This is a collection of 150 prayers that we find in the Christian Old Testament. These are prayers are prayers of lament, prayers of praise, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of wisdom. And they're very similar to the hymnals and prayer books that we find in more liturgical churches today. Ron Matthews, the president of the seminary I'm attending, describes a hymnal as a record of how theology has informed people's life experiences. So these hymns that have been passed down generation to generation to generation, if we went back to the original authors, we often find that they experienced something in their life and they processed that life experience through their understanding of God and recorded that into a hymn that we still sing hundreds of years later because that understanding of God still speaks to us in our current life situations. The Psalms are the same way. They are a record of how the Hebrew people processed their life situations based on their understanding of God. Now, tradition tells us that King David wrote most of the Psalms, but it's not like he wrote a Psalm and then the next day it went viral and all of Israel is singing and praying this brand new Psalm. Rather, King David wrote them and they were stored somewhere during his life and after he died. And the Psalms were collected by religious leaders and put together into this anthology that we have now. N.T. Wright, a modern theologian, suggests that the Psalms as we know them were actually compiled during exile when Israel was in Babylon. Now I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that idea later. Today we're going to spend all of our time in the Psalms of lament. Lament is defined as a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Walter Brueggemann describes it more poetically. He says, lament is the breaking of numbness by the admission of pain and loss. I think most of us are not very good at lamenting. We all experience pain and loss. Many of us are experiencing that right now, but instead we choose numbness. I choose numbness by spending time scrolling through Facebook on my phone instead of thinking about what's going on in my life. I choose numbness by watching TV so that I can forget what's happening around me. And I choose numbness when my neighbor asks how I'm doing and I slap on a smile and say, good, great, fine. But let's listen to these words of lament and see what we can learn from these Hebrew psalmists. We're going to look at Psalm 13, Psalm 22, and Psalm 74. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? How long, oh God, will you allow our enemies to mock you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you remain so distant? Why do you ignore my cries for help? 
That last one may have sounded a little familiar. It's from Psalm 22, and Jesus said those words on the cross as he died. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was lamenting as he was on the cross. But even if these words aren't familiar, the feelings are familiar. Feelings of abandonment, feelings of being ignored, feelings that God is silent. But by calling out, the psalmists who wrote these words are voicing a protest that both names and denies the legitimacy of God's silence. These ancient Hebrew worshipers refuse to accept that God will stay silent. They deny the idea that God cannot or will not act. While their feelings of abandonment are real, these psalmists refused to let their feelings define who God is. While their feelings of abandonment were real, these psalmists refused to let their feelings define who God is. Though they begin with cries of, where are you, God? At some point, they transition from lament into remembering who God is, what God has done in the past, and then basing their theology on this and not their present emotional state. So though they feel abandoned, though they feel neglected, though they feel like God is being silent, they are processing those emotions through their understanding of who God is instead of letting those emotions tell them there is no God, life is hopeless. Their feelings are real, but instead of letting their hopeless feelings tell them there is no God, they let their understanding of who God is help them process these feelings. And listen to how they describe God in the same Psalms where they were wondering where he is. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he has been so good to me. You, O oh God, are my king from ages past, bringing salvation to the earth. Yet you are holy. The praises of Israel surround your throne. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. You heard their cries for help and saved them. They put their trust in you and were never disappointed. I call these words the anchors in the Psalms of Lament. And every single Psalm of Lament in the Bible has an anchor. Even Psalm 88 now, this is a lament psalm that is so dark and painful that Jewish theologians have turned to this psalm to help understand the Holocaust. This psalmist, by the end of the psalm, even gets to the point of blaming God for their situation. Listen to what they say. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have cut me off. You have taken away my companions and loved ones only darkness remains. That sounds pretty hopeless, right? But listen to the words that started this psalm. O oh Lord, God of my salvation. The anchor of this psalmist's faith is that God is the God of their salvation. Without this conviction, this psalm would never have been written. Why would you pray in the darkest hour of your life to a God you thought was powerless or non-existent? You wouldn't. 
And each of these lament psalms, even the book of Lamentations written by Jeremiah, comes from the same conviction as the praise psalms. The conviction of knowing who God is as the sovereign ruler who has acted in the past for Israel. And it is these past actions that lead to the voice of frustration in their psalms of lament. God has acted. God has revealed himself. God has intervened. And it feels like he's not doing that anymore. But Israel doesn't give up on God. Instead, who Israel knows God to be is the anchor for their faith, especially during their times of lament. So remember the idea that the Psalms were all put together into this collection we have now while Israel was in exile? Let's talk a little bit about what exile was like. Pastor Duane talked about this a lot while we were learning um, from the book of Jeremiah. Israel, the nation of Israel was living in the land of Israel, and um, their main city was Jerusalem. And the big thing in Jerusalem was the temple of God. And inside the temple of God was a room called the Holy of Holies. And that is where heaven and earth overlapped because that is the one place on earth where God's presence was. So Babylon comes marching into Israel and suddenly the temple of God has been flattened. This place where heaven and earth overlapped is now a pile of rubble and Israel is wondering where did God where did God's presence go? Then the next big thing that happens is Israel, the nation of Israel, the people are marched right out of the land of Israel. And this land was a huge part of the covenant that they had with God. So not only is the house of God destroyed, they're disconnected from the land that was part of the promise they had from God. Listen to how they felt during exile. This is from Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And yet they did sing the Lord's songs and may have found that actually singing those songs and even writing some new ones was one of the few things that kept them sane and gave them hope while they were in Babylon. These faithful Hebrews hung on to the anchors that God hears our cries, that God saves, that God is not far from us, and it is in connection to these anchors that the exiled Israelites continue to pray to God. Now, it kind of feels like the year 2020 is a little bit of an exile. Now, the temple of God hasn't been destroyed because in Corinthians, Paul tells us that we are the temple of God, you and me. And instead of getting kicked out of our homes and moved to a new land, many of us are spending more time at home. But life as we know it has changed pretty drastically. Church looks different. School looks different. Exercising looks different concerts and museums we can't go to those anymore and if we're going on a vacation that is looking very different then part of this pandemic has laid bare the injustices that have been present in our country for years things like racism and the lie of white supremacy 
social inequity with job loss and people struggling to pay their rent and, and buy food and being at risk of eviction now. Today, these psalms of lament might sound like this. How shall we sing the Lord's song when over 700,000 people around the world have died because of COVID? Oh Lord, how long will you forget us in our quarantine? Forever? How long must we struggle with anguish in our souls as we are turned down for job after job? All is darkness. All is loneliness. And you know what? It's okay to feel this way. It is okay to feel this way, and it's okay to share these feelings with God. If God didn't want to hear this from us, these psalms of lament wouldn't even be in our Bible. But like the authors of the psalms of lament, we do not let our frustration, our anger, our disappointment, our hopelessness define who God is. God is the God of our salvation no matter how we feel. In these times when our lives feel like a stressful emotional hurricane, we hold on to the anchor we have in who we know God is. I want to give you a real-life modern example of someone who has done this, and that's the late Representative John Lewis. He fought for civil rights his entire life, and he never lived to see that fight actually end. But he shared this quote. He said, Release all bitterness. Hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. Jesus was the anchor for John Lewis to keep going in the face of any opposition. He faced physical violence, he faced jail time, and then later in life he argued for fair laws in Congress, and nothing held him back because his anchor was Jesus, and knowing that the fight had already been won for people to be treated equally and loved equally. Today I want to share a prayer practice with you that will help us stay anchored like this. It's called breath prayer, and it's an ancient form of prayer that uses short, easy-to-remember phrases coupled with our breath, and it helps us center ourselves and focus on God. Breath prayer does not go on and on and on asking for specific things in specific situations. There's nothing wrong with praying for specific things in specific situations, But the purpose of breath prayer is to spend time in God's presence, seeking to know God and to be known by God, anchoring ourselves in God so that we can remain anchored throughout our day. If you want to learn more about breath prayer, there are a couple of resources on the sermon notes. If you go to mygrace.church slash notes, there is a link to an Instagram account by, uh, from Oshida Moore, and every Monday she leads a breath prayer session on Instagram Live, and then she posts that on her Instagram so you can watch it anytime you want. There's also a link to a newsletter from Sarah Bessie, who wrote this newsletter at the start of the pandemic specifically about breath prayer and having that be a practice that carries us through. So we're going to try this out. A breath prayer is usually written in two phrases, one for the inhale and one for the exhale. 
So here's an example from Psalm 22. My God who rescues, I trust you for relief. So let's inhale and take a deep breath. Feel your lungs expand. Fill yourself completely. And then say, my God who rescues. Now exhale slowly, releasing all your air. And say, I trust you for relief. Let's do that together a couple more times. So inhale. My God who rescues, I trust you for relief. My God who rescues, I trust you for relief. Now I love breath prayer because it's easy to return to throughout the day. If I'm being impatient with my kids, if I have read too much of the news and I'm stressed out, if I'm feeling angry and overwhelmed about the school situation, all I have to do is stop, take five or ten seconds and a few breaths and pray these prayers, and I can feel myself re-anchoring to God. I'm going to share one more with you, and this is from Psalm 88. It's God of my salvation, be with me in the darkness. But you can replace that word darkness with whatever you're going through. It could be loneliness, fear, uncertainty, dis disappointment. So let's pray this together, and I'm going to say darkness, but you say what speaks to you. Let's pray. God of my salvation, be with me in the darkness. Again, God of my salvation, be with me in the darkness. God, I thank you for your presence. Even when we can't feel it, we know that you are there. I thank you for coming in Jesus Christ to show us your vulnerability and your desire to join with us in our suffering, to understand what we are going through. And I thank you that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, life is not hopeless, that we know the victory has been won. And so, God, I pray that with every breath we breathe this week, we would breathe in your Holy Spirit and that you would be reminding us to stay connected, to stay anchored to you so that we can outlast every storm in our life and outlast that with hope and assurance of the God of our salvation. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.